Okay, thank you everybody for joining us again. We are uh, continuing our Shur on Tefillah. Last week we discussed the modern additions to uh, to the Pesukah de Zimra. All of those extra little things that all of the extra little things that were added to and around the Pesukah de Zimra, which only happened since the year 1500 until now. And tonight what I want to do is finally close the Pesukah de Zimra with the epilogue, the Closing doxology, as if you will, of Sukkot Zimra, which is better known as Yishtabach, or Yishtabach Shimcha La'ad Malkenu. In many of the medieval um, halachic works, we find that Yishtabach, being the end of Sukkot Zimra, was when the Chazan would get up and finally go to the Amud. He would go to the to the lectern to begin the the tefillah with Yishtabach and Baruch because originally, uh, pre in early medieval times, the davening really started with the bracha of Yotzer, with Baruch Hashem Avarach, and then with the, the brachot of Yotzer. Once Pesukit Zimra began uh, to be, a, to uh, once Pesukit Zimra was the beginning of davening in the shul, then the shliach tzibur proper would get up by Yishtabach and close the Pesukit Zimra by Yishtabach. In some of the kilot, they had a mizamer, a person whose uh, deliberate job it was to, that person's job was to say the Pesuket the Pesuket and then you would have separately a person, you would separately have a person whose job it was to to be the Chazan for the rest of the evening. Okay, so now when it comes to Yishtabach Shimcha, it is so uh the origins of it are so mysterious that the first mention of Yishtabach his, in history is really most interesting because of the way Yishtabach is omitted, not because not in the sense of how Yishtabach is mentioned. Because the earliest uh, source we have for it in the mid-9th century from Rav Natronai Gaon, the earliest source um, from Rav Natronai treats Yishtabach in a way where it seems almost like second rate, like it's not a bracha that even matters, and he doesn't even refer to it by name. Could you imagine? So Yishtabach um, and Baruch Shamar are both brachos that are never mentioned in the Gemara. And this is a problem that many of the earliest sources deal with. How could we say a bracha like Baruch Shamar or Yishtabach that's not mentioned in the Gemara? And why would the Gemara never mention it? So as we're going to see many of the early Rishonim, and many scholars assume that Baruch Shamar and Yishtabach is post-Talmudic, that it was written after the time of the Gemara, and therefore the Gemara never mentions these brachos, because as we spoke about in earlier Shurim, well, Pesukah de started in time of the Tanoim, it was called, it was called like a Hallel, it was a type of Hallel, they were going in Hallel and then the, the Bablis had their minig of Pesukah de and we discussed how the Yushalmi Jews had, had the minig of, of Tefillah Sashir, but the brachas before and after seems to have seem to have been added in a post-Talmudic age. Therefore, the question is, um, when exactly and by who exactly was Yishtabach written? So our earliest source for it is, and I hope, yeah, yeah here we go, is in the Chubot of Natronai Gaon. The Chubos of one of these Gaonim from the 9th century, Natronai Bar Hillel. And this is a famous Chuba from him where he was asked, what are the 100 brachos that we are required to say every day? And he answers with a whole list, and you can count them all the way to 100. But look what he does here. He says, Umivarich, and this is the second to, to the last line by the by the letter 21. Um, I'm sharing my screen for anybody who's on uh, who's listening. 
מברך ברכה הראשונה של הלל, שהוא ברוך שאמר עד מלך גדול בתושבחות. הוא פורס על שמה. He completely, in other words, he says that you say the first Baruch HaPsukah Dezimra, which is, which is Baruch Sha'amar, until Melech Gadol B'Tush Bachot. And the next Baruch in the count of 100 is the Baruchos of Kriya Shema. Rav Natronai Gaon doesn't consider Yishtabach to be one of the 100 Baruchos we say every day, which is confounding. Why would it not be the case? Is it because it's a Baruch HaSmuchah Is it because it's a Baruch HaSimah? There doesn't seem to be any reason. He doesn't clearly say a reason why it shouldn't be considered a bracha on its own. Some have argued that it's because it's a bracha v'chasima. Um, Yerachmiel Brody, Rabbi Robert uh, Yerachmiel Brody, who um, who's a professor who put together this chuvas of Rav Natronai Gain, he himself believes that Rav Natronai holds that if it doesn't have shemu malchus, then it's not a, a then it doesn't qualify. As a as one of the 100 brachos that we say every day. Well, that's 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 his opinion, um, as it is. But in a later tshuva, what's interesting is that he does mention it. He just calls it vichotem. He says, and you close, right? You say baruch shamar, you say the psukah zimra, and then you close psukah zimra, which is odd because why wouldn't you call it by name? Why wouldn't you say yishtabach? It isn't until the sitter of Rav Amram Gon that we have a real nusach. We have the entire section that we know of today, which starts with Shabbat, Shimcha, Lad, Malkeinu. We don't, we don't have that in, in any of the sources earlier than the Seder of, uh, of Amram Gaon. So, Yishtabach. Clearly, in the time of the Gaonim, it was a, a bracha that was known, as Amram Gaon has it, but it wasn't considered a first-class bracha for some reason. So now, Let's pull back a little bit. Let's think to ourselves, if it's post-Talmudic, but the Geonim are aware of it, who could have written this bracha? So if you ask a bloke on the street, who wrote, if you ask anybody on the street, who wrote Yishtabach, their first reaction is going to be, well, why don't we say the Antichrist Sagadola wrote it? If you think about it, most of the brachos that we know of, uh, like the brachos of Hallel, are, or sorry, and the, the brachos of Shmon Esrei, etc., many of the main brachos and the main tefillos were instituted by, by the Yatshik Knesset Hagadola. So why can't I say it's written by the Yatshik Knesset Hagadola? And in fact, if you look in the uh, Siddur of the Hasidic Ashkenaz, they mention that there's a, a manuscript from a Siddur where Rav Ephraim Mibon writes that I saw in an old Siddur that it says that the Yatshik Knesset Hagadola wrote Ishtabach. Fascinating. The problem with that is that the Yatshik Knesset Hagadola lived probably 800 years, uh, I'm sorry, uh, 800 years, more, well over, uh, maybe 1,500 years before uh, the bracha of Baruch Shem Baruch and the bracha of, of Yishtaba could have possibly been invented. Why? Because Pesukit Zimmer wasn't invented until the time of the Tanoim. If Pesukit Zimmer wasn't invented until the time of the Tanoim, and it wasn't even an institution until then, you can't blame the Anshik Nesha for making brachos for something that didn't exist. How could the Anshik Nesha make a bracha of Baruch Shamar and a bracha of Yishtabach for, for Pesukitizimra. Pesukitizimra doesn't exist yet. So that um, theory has to go out of the window. Another theory, which is brought by the Chassidei Ashkenaz, is a whole fancy story. The Chassidei Ashkenaz bring a story that, you know, what happened, I heard, and this is not really the Chassidei Ashkenaz, I should be fair, it was somebody who penciled in into the sitter of the, into the, 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 the safer of the Chassidei Ashkenaz. He says, I heard, he raises his hand, you know, like the, the, the scribe says, I heard this is what happened. 
You see, Shlomo HaMelech, once upon a time, Shlomo HaMelech uh, built a fancy throne. And on his fancy, uh, when he ascended to his big and fancy throne, the um, all the Jews came and praised him. And he said, you're praising me for being such a fancy king? No, you have to praise Hashem. And he, he composed on the spot, Yishtabach Shem Chalad Malkenu HaKel HaMelech. And how do we know Shlomo HaMelech wrote it? Well, it's a Yishtabach Shem Chalad Malkenu HaMelech. A hakel is shin lamed mem. Hey, that means it must be shalomo. Some others have said, well, at the end, there's also an acrostic for Abraham. Maybe Abraham Avinu wrote it. As incredible as that story sounds, um, first of all, acrostics weren't used in poetry in biblical times. So that that theory goes out the window. And second of all, of course, Shlomo Melech lived before the Pesuket de Zimra was even an idea. So therefore, it's very doubtful that the composer of Yishtabach Shimcha, it was Shlomo HaMelech. So now we're going to approach one more very interesting theory, um, one that also makes a little less sense, but better chronological sense than the theory we saw before. And that's the theory which is penciled in by somebody in the school of Rashi. You see, in the school of Rashi, there's a sefer called the Sefer Apardes. Some of his Talmudim put together a sefer which contains all the halachas and all, uh, many of the rulings and minhagim of, of the school of Rashi, including of Rashi himself. We don't know who wrote every single part of it, but here's one interesting part of the Sefer Apardes. This part of the Sefer Apardes is talking about the tfilas, the tfilat Arvit. And he mentions that the whole bracha of Yoreinenu, in his opinion, the whole bracha of Yoreinenu that the Ashkenazim say and the Sephardim used to say is added there by the Chachamim and Bavel to demonstrate that you don't have to be so geula letzvila. You don't have to have Baruch HaTashem Gal Yisrael right next to the Shimon Esrei by Arvit. You only have to do that by Shachrit. Because, because, why? Because Arvit is a Rashut. That's why. Now, in the middle of that complex discussion, he adds this very interesting little story, whoever this scribe is. He says, V'kavu keneged ha-psukin shanu omrin Baruch HaShem lo'olam, amen v'amen. Those same rabbis in Bavel, whoever they were, some of the Geonim or the, the Savoraim, they instituted that paragraph of 18 psukim that the Ashkenazim say after Arvit and the, the, Sephardim, the Sephardim used to say that begins with Baruch Hashem Lolam Amen Amen. Why did they institute those 18 psukim? Why? It has in it 18 uh, psukim. The Yudchet Prachot Ala Seder Biyamna Tuknum. And we also know that the 18 brachos of Shmona Esrei were instituted by the rabbis in Yavne. And they sent them So he says, listen to this whole story. What first happened was that Rabbi Gamliel and Yavne instituted the Shmona Esrei. And then after they sent from Yavne the new Shmona Esrei to Bavel, the Chachamim and Bavel sent back a reply. Uh, so in reply to the Shemayna Esrei, basically the, the rabbis in Eretz Yisrael invented Shemayna Esrei. Then the rabbis in Bavel said, you know, that's really nice. We're going to also invent this uh, Baruch Hashem Le'olam Amen Vamein with 18 psukim to be said by Mayrev. It's, it's almost, and, and they liked it very much, he says. They liked this idea very much. Uh, where am I? And then they replied back, and what did the what did the rabbis of Eretz Yisrael reply back to the rabbis of Bavel? Listen to the story. And for that, the rabbis, the Nesim, the presidents of Eretz Yisrael, replied to the Chachamim of Bavel with their own counterpart. 
of 18 brach, the 18 shvachs which are mentioned in Yishtabach from Shir, Ushacha, Halel, Vizimra, right? All the shvachs in, in Yishtabach and also the Yudchet Kumin Be'emet Viyatsev and also the 18 um, uh, affirmations of Emes Viyatsev. Now, this is a very strange story. First of all, all of our versions of Yishtabach and Emes Viyatsev have 15. Not all of them, but most of them. But what's Besides the strangeness of this story and the chronological problems with this story, what is most notable is that in the consciousness of this scribe, he believes strongly that these 18 Askaris, which are said by Mayrev, were invented by rabbis in Bavel, and these 18 um, uh, languages of Yishtabach, Yishtabach was written by the Nesim, the presidents of the schools of Eretz Yisrael. So this is the, the the viewpoint of this scribe and this scholar, whoever he was in the in the in the in the in the school of Rashi. Now, that's interesting because, as as we're going to see, um, many of the many of the scholars who approach Ishtabach actually assume that it's not from Eretz Yisrael at all. Rather, it's from Bavel and it's from the schools of Bavel as a counterpart to. The the Yehalalucha, which was said in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, but we'll get to that in a second. The last possible source that we could have for the composition of Yishtabach is that it might actually be as old as the Talmud itself. How could we how could we uh, uh, say that? This is because there is one last source for the Tefillah of Yishtabach, but it only comes to us secondhand. Many of the Rishonim, like that go to my Oniyot and the tour, and uh, uh, the list would exhaust me. I think it's um, Machsavitri might have this. A, a bunch of a bunch of Rishonim have this. A lot of the Rishonim have this Yerushalmi. They call it a Yerushalmi, which says that anybody who speaks between Yishtabach and the and Baruchu is a Verahu Biyodo. It's a, it's a he's guilty of a sin. And if he were going to go to war, we would take him out of the selection process. No, you're going to die in war. Got to be careful about sending you out to war. Very fascinating Gemara. So they say they claim there's a Talmud Yushami somewhere. There's Yushami somewhere that says that that you can't talk between Ishtabach and Baruch Hu, If that's true, if there was a Talmud Yushami tractate, which we don't have today, but if there is a passage in the Talmud Yushami that says that you can't talk between Ishtabach and Baruch Hu, and it names Yishtabach by name, then the era of the Talmud Yushami would attest to the existence of the Yishtabach, which is ready in the early Amiraic period. But we don't have that ourselves, so we can't prove that it, that it exists. And second of all, something that's well-known to scholars, but not so well-known, I'm sorry, well-known to academics, but it's not so well-known in the yeshiva world, is that very often when the Rishonim will, will quote a Yushami, but we don't have it in the Yushami, it's not because they had a different uh, Masechta than you did, Sometimes, sometimes they had a different Gersa, but very often it's because many of the European, the Northern European, European Rishonim referred to the word Yushami very loosely. It appears that they had a codex that they brought with them from Italy, or a few codices, which had the Masechtes of Yushami, but with it interpolated a lot of other halachas and Midrashim inside of it. And so things that they called Yushami were really just part of that codex that they had, which they called the Yushami, but it's not actually the Yushami itself. And therefore, it's possible that this is not an actual Gemara, but a much later source, either from Italy or from somewhere else, or from the Yeshiva Sinaritz Israel, possibly. Okay, so the Rif, um, the Rif who lived before the Mausavitri, or right before, really, the Rif himself says simply that 
the Chachamim were, that the Rabbanon were in it. And if you look in the Siddur Hasidic Ashkenaz, he, he basically extrapolates that a little wider and he says, Rabbanan Savorai. It sounds like the consensus is among the Rishonim who actually knew what they were talking about. It sounds like the Rishonim believed that this was it composed, that Yishtavach was composed sometime in the era of the Savorayim. If you're not familiar with that term, the Savorayim were the Amorayim, uh, the last Amorayim who redacted the, the Talmud and are sometimes called Savarayim, and sometimes they're called the early Gaonim. But they believe that it's sometime in the 6th century, uh, possibly the 5th century, that the Bracha of Yishtabach was composed. That's so far um, what we have from the time they're Shainim. But where does this really leave us? If you stop and think, if we want to know who wrote Yishtabach, why they wrote Yishtabach, where they wrote Yishtabach, this doesn't really leave us very satisfied, because we have no mention of it in Chazal, we don't have any credible witnesses from the early medieval period or the late medieval period as to who actually wrote it and why. So we don't even know that if it was originally written from Sukkot Zimra. So how are we going to unravel the mystery of Yishtabach? So the best way to do this is to ask ourselves the questions that we usually ask ourselves when we look at a tefillah and we want to know who wrote it and why they wrote it. So the first question we have to ask is what are the motivations for saying a bracha here? right next to the uh, to the Psalms. And second of all, what form does this blessing take? So let's take a critical approach and let's take a form, a form critical approach. So the key, in my opinion, to understanding Yishtabach and the history of Yishtabach really has to do with the word that Rav Natchanaygon used in the tshuva that we saw earlier. I believe that the key to all of this is in the word that is in the fact that Rav Natron Aigon used the word Hallel to describe uh, the Yishtabach, he's, uh, I'm sorry, the screen share is loading, one second. Um, he's being maramis to, he's hinting to us the way that the Geonim and the Amoraim thought about Psuke de Zimra and how we have to understand why they would put a bracha before and after. So look here, just if you look here again, he calls it, Pavarech bracha rishona shel Hallel. We noticed and we studied the Gemara by Rabbi Yaisi, where Rabbi Yaisi says that We mentioned, of course, that Rabbi Yaisi calls the Psuki de Zimra in his time, he calls it which means that in the consciousness of the Tanoim and Namiraim, and even already in the consciousness of the Geonim, the Psuki de Zimra was a form of Halal just like the Halal Hamitri just like the Egyptian halal that we say by the Haggadah Shel Pesach. And therefore, the epilogue and the prologue of the Psuka de Zimra was probably designed with the same criteria of shvach, the same criteria of praise. And in order to understand the halal Shel Bechol Yayim, if we want to understand the halal that a person is supposed to say every day, we also have to under understand the halal HaMitzri. We have to understand to some degree the brachos that surround the halal that we say on Pesach. So now the bracha that we say before the halal on Pesach is, of course, the brachos ha-mitzvahs. It's mentioned in passing in the Gemara B'sachem that, oh yeah, you have to say brachos ha-mitzvahs before you say halal because it's a mitzvah the Raisa to say the halal, the halal by, by, the, by, the, by the karma on Pesach. But the bracha afterwards is a bracha mentioned in the Mishnah in, in B'sachem, and it's called birchas hashir. After a person is done saying halal, he's supposed to say birchas hashir. So let's think about how the, let's look at this Gemara for a second. 
and and let's 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 think about it together. It says Ravii Gaimer Alavasahalal the Aimer Alav Birchasashir. My Birchasashir. What is this Birchasashir that the Mishnah is talking about? Ravi Huda Amar Ravi Huda, who's a Talmud of Rav and Shmuel, says Yalulucha Shemalokenu. This is a tefillah which begins with the words Yalulucha Shemalokenu, which the rest of us will be familiar with as the concluding bracha of Halal. Rabbi Yechanan Amar and Rabbi Yechanan says it's called Nishmas Kolchai. Again, a bracha beginning with the words Nishmas Kolchai. He doesn't specify what Nishma, how Nishmas Kolchai ends. He doesn't say if it ends with Nishtabach. He just calls it Nishmas Kolchai. So let's think about this for a second. The bracha of Yehalalucha Hashem that ends the Halal HaMitzri, as far as, 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 as in as much as we know it, doesn't have the style of a Berch Samitzvah. Very similarly to the Berchas Kriyashma, it comes in the style of a Berchas Hashvah. And that's probably because the Berchas HaMitzvahs are a much later form of bracha. They're from the era of the Tanoim. While the Berchas Hashvah is most likely a form of bracha that comes from uh, an early Tanoic era, from an even earlier uh, period. So the bracha of Yehalalucha Hashem Elokeinu is probably a very early bracha, which was meant to accompany Halal. That's as much as we can glean from this Gemara about the bracha of Yehalalucha. Now, Yehalalucha itself is like an older brother of Yishtabach, and it itself was used by the Jews of Eretz Yisrael as their, doxa, as their uh, uh, let's call it, concluding doxology, as their concluding bracha for Pesuket de Zimra. In, in, the, in the, the communities that followed the Minig of Eretz Yisrael, their Pesuket de Zimra ended with the bracha of Yehalalucha instead of the bracha of Yishtabach, which cements for us this idea that Yehalalucha was very much, Yehalalucha was very much understood and consciously adopted as a bracha to end halal, and Pesukit Zimra were a halal. So it would seem, just from looking at this, that Yehalalucha and Yishtabach are a form of, Yehalalucha and Yishtabach are a form of a bracha for a halal, and Yishtabach is a bracha or an alternative bracha for the halal, just like Yehalalucha is a bracha for the halal. That's what we're building with from this Gemara. Just give me a second, please. Um... One thing I will note, of course, is that the Rishonim debate heavily exactly what the meaning is of this Gemara. Now, without getting knee-deep or neck-deep into the Haggadah, um, essentially, the Rishonim don't fully agree if you're supposed to say both. Are you supposed to say, Lucha Hashem Elokeinu? Are you supposed to say, just Nishmas Kolchai? Does Nishmas Kolchai end with Yishtabach? Essentially, over the generations, it swung back and forth. And some communities said both. Some communities said one. There are communities today which will end with the bracha of Yishtabach. Some communities will end with the bracha of Yehalalucha. So, Adayim Azev. Oh, there's still, there's still uh, machlaikas about this. The Gaonim had a girsa. The Gaonim believed that we passed in like a Yehuda. And the Rif believes that as well. And Hoshbam had a girsa that we passed in like a Yehudah. So, it flip-flops in the Haggadah. If you open Haggadah, whether it's Ashkenaz, Sephardi, Temani, Italian, you're going to see different versions. Do we end the Halal HaMitzri with the Halalucha or do we end it with the Yishtabach? Okay, but regardless of the history of the Haggadah itself, the history of Nishmas itself also calls us into question to understanding Ishtabach. Because if you speak to the scholars who study the Haggadah, and there are quite a few, and I'm just showing here by Daniel Goldschmidt, who wrote this famous Haggadah Shal Pesach, uh, which is published by the Mosad Bialik. If you ask them, many of the scholars of the Haggadah believe that Nishmas Kolchai was originally a bracha that ended 
Halal HaMitzri, and possibly a bracha that ended the Pesuket Zimra in the, in the, I'm sorry, in the, what's, in the Nusach of those who lived in Eretz Yisrael. And I'm just going to hold this up for you here. This is the Haggadah of Daniel Goldschmidt. And in it, I think it's page 37, uh, perhaps. Give me one second. I'm almost there. One second. Oh, 67, not 37. Right. So he believes as follows, that originally Nishmas was used as a bracha to conclude either Halal HaMitzri or Sukkot Zimran. And here's his suspicion, that his suspicion is, like a few other scholars, that Nishmas Kolchai has multiple, multiple different components, and each one was written at a different time in a different place. And eventually people forgot that Nishmas Kolchai was originally a bracha, since there were so many poetic additions added to Nishmas Kolchai, and over the time it became one long tefillah. But originally he believes, and he's a philologist, he believes that Nishmas Kolchai read as follows, Nishma kolchai tevarechet shimcha Hashem elokeinu burach kol basar tefarer tuamim zichacha malkenu kime olam ve'ad olam atakel baruch ata Hashem melech mehulal batishvachot. Based on an analysis of many texts, that's how he believes Nishmas already um, originally ended. And if you notice, the end of Yishtabach also ends with the same words. Yishtabach also ends kime olam ve'ad olam atakel baruch ata Hashem melech mehulal batishvachot. So he believes that Yishtabach itself was just a form of just one of the many brachos that was used in the Nuschot of Eretz Yisrael it, or in the Nuschot of Bavel. And he believes that most likely what happened is, is that in Eretz Yisrael, people used to end Pesuket Zimra with either Nishmas or Nishmas and Yahalalucha. And then eventually Nishmas came to Bavel People played around with Nishmas, made it much longer, and eventually, once they forgot that Nishmas was a bracha to begin with, because it had so many poetic additions, somebody created a bracha similar to Nishmas, and it ended Me'olam Be'atolam Atakel, and he made it the bracha of Yishtabach. That's how Rabbi Daniel Goldschmidt sees it. He sees Yishtabach as a bracha invented in Bavel, which mimics um, Nishmas. Yishtabach is a bracha invented in Bavel, which mimics Nishmas. Okay, that's his, um, that's his version of it. That's his, at least his suspicion. Now, if you look in the Seder of Sadigon, of Sadigon's version of Yishtabach represents for us a very early Babylonian uh, text of the Yishtabach. And if you look at it closely, let's read it together. Yishtabach shim chalal malkeinu, ha-melech ha-gadol ha-kadosh b'shemayim v'aretz, ki lechana ha-shem malkeinu, shiru shvach, halo v'zimra, ozum emshala, netzach, gvura, brachus ha-hodayos, malchus me'ata v'ad olam. Then it interrupts. What this tells you by this interpolation of Rav Gaon, this tells you that Yishtabach appears to be a poetic form of a conclusion for the Pesukit Zimra. It seems that the rabbis in Babel were playing around with the concluding doxologies, the concluding eulogies, uh, or to say simply the concluding brachas of Pesuket Zimra, and eventually they settled on the text that we have today. If you also look at his Nusach, he ends with Melech Gadol HaTishbachas Kel Reiv HaHaydais, meaning that we can only say most of God's praises, which is a Nusach which was rejected by the other Gainim. It comes apart, it comes along by also by Halalucha. Many people had this Girsa. I think the Italians still have it till today. 
Um, is it the Italians? I don't remember. But there is such a girsa, but it's it's rejected by a lot of a lot of Rishayim. They prefer to say Kol Adon Nishbalot. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Melech Adon Nishbalot. Adon Nishbalot. They they say like either Kol Haodot or something along that along those lines. Okay, so it is possible. I like Goldschmidt's theory. I, I really think it's it's a very well informed theory, and. What he's lacking, though, what Goldschmidt is lacking is a whole bunch of extra data from the Cairo Geniza. Now, this is the first time in this class that I get to discuss the scholar whose name was Rav Naftali Weider. Rav Naftali Weider was a huge Eloy who was born in Hungary in 1905. He was a Hasidish. He was a huge Eloy. He was a huge genius in his youth and already became in his 20s a Dayan. And he moved... He was a Dayan and a Rav and whatever. And, and he decided in his in his late 20s to move to Berlin because he wanted to learn in the Hochschule, uh, the Wissenschaft is Judentum, I think it, it was. Right, yeah. He learned under Ismar Elbogen, the famous scholar of Jewish liturgy in the Hochschule, which is the University of uh, for Jewish Studies in, in Berlin. He studied there for many years and he was very, um, uh, what's it called? Very affected by the Wissenschaft and the ideas of the Wissenschaft uh, movement. Now, he still stayed staunchly religious, actually, in his own way. But when he went to London, when he finally fled the Nazis and went to London, he uh, decided he didn't want to really be Hasidish anymore. So he cut off his pious and he started dressing like a yekka. He started dressing like a German Jew with the yarmulke and then, and, and, you know, and the, and, and the very tight uh, yekisha uh, vest and, and, uh, and, 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 and jacket. And Naftali Weider, uh, all his friends thought he was, in, he went off the derech and he was no longer from, it couldn't be further from the truth. But in London, he continued his studies and he was very attracted during the war to studying the text of the Cairo Geniza. Naftali Weider is a, one of the greatest scholars of Jewish liturgy, but I've never mentioned him simply because most of his work is very highly specialized. Um, he could, he's what's called by, the, by Stephen Reef a scholar scholar. To, to put it simply, he's the kind of man who people speak of his name in hushed tones. He was such a genius and so far above uh, most uh, other scholars that most of his work is only accessible to, to, to experts in the field because his notes or sorry, his papers are basically like the densest, most complex notes that you're going to find of any scholar. Like what he thinks he's writing for the layman, he's only writing for the scholar. He writes extremely densely. He's he's not easy to understand, and he's really a scholar who writes papers for other scholars. And it's it's he's an extremely intimidating uh, fellow. He was an an intimidating fellow. And tonight we're going to first benefit from some of his research because it's extremely necessary, and I don't think it's too complicated. So Bezrat Hashem, we're going to learn some of his Torah. One of the things he found in the Kairogeniza, which will illumine for us, which will enlighten for us, the story of Yishtabach is a fascinating discovery that in the Nuschos of Eretz Yisrael, in the Nusach of the Jews who prayed in Eretz Yisrael, there was a time when any time they would say a single psalm or a collection of psalms, they would open it and close it with brachos of praise, with doxologies of praise, um, not specifically brachos, but doxologies of praise, which were psukim. And we'll look here just as an example here of Salah Rosh Hashanah, which is in Arabic, the, 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 um, the prayers for Rosh Hashanah. If you look here, they were going to say in the shul a mizmar, just like we do today, a special mizmar for, for Rosh Hashanah before the davening. 
And that means Korach. But before they would do that, they would say, Baruch Hashem which sounds very much like a form of bracha. And then afterwards, they would say, And then, and they would end Baruch Hashem, just like they were ending Halo, which is an f- absolutely fascinating thing. Even for a single psalm, they would say an opening pseudo bracha. They would end with and they would end with a proper bracha just for saying a single psalm, not just a collection of psalms. And Natali Weeder thinks this is absolutely fascinating. And I, and I, I actually agree with him. I think this is just amazing. But what he does is, is that he, he also finds a thread here. If you look in the Nusrais, some very ancient Nusrais, like the Nusach of the, of the Jews of Aleppo, and even, I mean, some other areas of liturgy, you'll find that this is not the only place where um, where such a thing is done. If you look at, if you look at, for example, the Spanish, uh, well, for, let, let, let's, if you look at other, other uh, manuscripts that he found in the Karaganiza that are similar to this, you'll find sometimes they start with sometimes they start with Baruch Hashem sometimes they end with Baruch Hashem sometimes they, they begin with Yimalei Hashem. In other words, it's a bit interchangeable, but they use these two psukim from the Torah as like a, a prologue and an epilogue to saying a pasuk from, from Tehillim. But if you think about it, look at the Sfardi Nusach, right? The Sfardi Nusach every day, when we say Shir Shal Yayim, how do we end the Shir Shal Yayim? We end every Shir Shal Yayim with a Baruch Hashem Yisrael, and that's already a medieval practice. Or if you think about... Um, the, the, the minug that we have after saying Navi, right? A Shabbos and, and Yom Tiv, what do the Moroccans do? What does everybody do? After we finish saying Navi, we finish with a Shvach, as if we just read something from Navi, so we have to end it with a with, with a Shvach of praise. He believes that this thread of this pseudo brachis in the epilogue and the prologue, in the prologue and epilogue to the, uh, to saying a Tehillim, is a thread that birthed into more complex brachai. So originally, when people were going to say psalms, they used psukim from the Torah or dedicated psukim to begin a bracha, to begin the psalm with a bracha and end it with a bracha. Then it developed into something like Yehalalucha, and that developed even further. It's just an absolutely fascinating discovery that he found, and he believes that um, that this is how... For example, Yehalalucha is used in the Tzvilais of the Jews of Eretz Yisrael. Now, to move a little further, um, Ezra, I'm just gonna, here. I'm I'm comparing for you the the three the three brachos, which are essentially um, how do we put it? Which are essentially brothers one to the other. Baruch Shamar Yishtabach and Yehalalucha. If you look at the similarities on your screen, but if we move a little further into even more research into the Karaganiza, we're running out of time here, so I'm just gonna say all of this briefly. Um, Ezra Fleischer. In his book, built on Weider's work, and he built on Shlomo Asaf's work, and he built on Yaakov Mann's work. And he found something fascinating. Although it has always been assumed that the Jews in, 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 in the, who followed the Nusach of Eretz Yisrael would end Psukit Zimra with a mixture of Shvach, which included Nishmas and included the Halalucha, he found that the Jews of Eretz Yisrael would sometimes end with the halalucha that was short. Sometimes they would end with the halalucha that was long. 
sometimes they would end with just Nishmas. Sometimes they would end with Nishmas and Yihalalucha. And sometimes they even ended with Nishmas and Yishtabach. So it's clear that throughout the centuries, the Nusach of the Bnei Eretz Yisrael in the, in the Ben Ezra synagogue evolved. They didn't only use the Halalucha as a concluding doxology for the Pesukah de Zimra. Even they began using Yishtabach. Now, it's not clear what century they began using Yishtabach in, but they definitely were using it. And to spare you all the details, um, just one detail that I find very interesting is sometimes instead of Yahalulucha Hashem Elokeinu Koma Asecha, sometimes the bracha at the end of Halal would start with a nun, Nehalelcha Hashem Elokeinu Koma Maasecha, which just piqued my interest because we know that Baruch Shamar, in the middle of Baruch Shamar, there's a new sentence. Nehalelcha Hashem Elokeinu Bishvachus Ubizmiros Negadelcha Neshabecha Neferecha. I, I, this, this brings to me, to me, makes a very curious possibility that but the bracha of Baruch Shamar includes a separate section which was borrowed from an early form of Yahalulucha. That's just a suspicion that I have. I don't have any way of proving that. So let's recap what we learned tonight since we only have two minutes left. Um, to put it very simply, Yishtabach does not appear, Yishtabach does not appear in the Talmud. Baruch Shamar nor Yishtabach, neither of those brachos appear in the Gemara. They don't appear in the Midrashim. They are mentioned secondhand in the Gainim. They're mentioned by in secondhand nature by some of the Rishonim that perhaps there was an earlier source that had it. Some of the Rishonim believed it was the Rabbanan Savi Rai who composed Yishtabach. And um, some of them believed, some people in the time of the Rishonim believed of, in fantastical stories that Shleim HaMelech might have written it or Avram Avinu might have written it or uh, perhaps the Anshikin wrote it. What seems most likely, the Rishonim who knew what they were, they were talking about claim that it seems to have been written by Rabbanan Savirai in Bavel. It was written by Babylonian Rabbanim in Bavel in the, in the early period of the Gaonic era and the late period of the Talmudic era. Some of the Gaonim didn't actually consider it a full bracha, but to, to its merit, it does receive, um, it did receive a permanent place in, in the Tzvila. Now the, so let me just, sorry, I'm recapping here. So in the Rishayim, believe, Rishayim believe that it's from the Rabbanan Savarai in, in, in Bavel, most of them. Some of them believe that it was written by the Rabbanan in Eretz Yisrael. We saw that much later scholars uh, reverse engineered it and believe that what essentially happened was that Yishtabach has a very interesting nature. Yishtabach is, from a form perspective, Yishtabach is a bracha which is supposed to accompany a halal. Sukkot de Zimra is a halal. And just like the halal ha-mitzri, Yishtabach is a bracha, like Yehalalucha, which is supposed to follow a halal. And in the time of the earlier Ga'inim, halal ha-mitzri and the halal shebuchoyim had a very similar consciousness. And it was a very similar idea to people. And therefore, the brachas of Yehalalucha and Nishmas were used interchangeably. The brachas of Nishmas and Yehalalucha eventually were played with. And eventually, somebody in the time of the Rabbanan Saviroi also created their own poetic edition, which is Yishtabach Shimchalad Malkenu, and that was their version or their bracha version of the Nishmas Kol Chai. And or it was possibly invented in Eretz Yisrael, but most scholars seem to bend towards Babel, but it's also possible it was composed in Eretz Yisrael. Regardless, um, this shir, this shir of Yishtabach contains famously 15 shvach of Hashem, Nebuderham goes so far as to say that it has 15 shvach and to demonstrate 
that it, it's the longest one to demonstrate that it's the greatest of the shvach, and it has the longest chasimah to demonstrate that it's the greatest of the shvachais because it is it's paralleled to the 15 sheremalais. It's parallel to the MSV Yatsiv, and this uh, bracha in itself believes in its own supremacy. Uh, in 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 the in the sense of of in the Abu Darham sense, he believes that this bracha of Yishtabach is displaying its own supremacy by being the longest form, and we don't even even find the Yishtabach, which is ever a short form. So I think we're about to start our beat here. So I'm going to have to pause for questions. If anybody has questions, and Bezrat Hashem, we will continue next week if we have any more details to cover in Yishtabach. And if I forget anything, I can, uh, could uh, add it to the recording later. So thank everybody for your time and attention. We'll pause here.